weather, the uh, spring is here, and we're wanting to continue a discussion on what does it look like to follow Christ, and how do we do that, understanding that the world has different values than Christ wants us to have, and at the same time, how do we understand how to live well and true in a world? And so, as we go through this, uh, you're going to be wondering why I showed you that clip for a few minutes, and, and then I'm going to bring it back in. But what I want you to take from that, if you've not seen The Matrix, I know for some, it series just happened. For others, you have no idea what The Matrix is. But it's, uh, it's a great series of movies. Not all parts of the series are really appropriate for children. If you have young kids and you haven't seen it, so you need to watch it first. But there are some great spiritual parallels. It was intended to have many spiritual parallels. And one of the ones I want you to take away from today is that there are really two realities that exist in the world. There is the one that we see with our eyes and there is the one that God has fashioned with his hands that if we will look deeper, we can see what is really happening around us. So as we get started this morning, just kind of table that. We're going to bring that back in and just... A few minutes. Last week we talked about what does it mean to be dignified? What does it mean to be undignified? And what I began to lay out for you is the fact that God never intended for us to be people of dignity. Because God himself is not dignified in the way that the world defines it. So last week as we looked at this, the definition of dignity is simply the state or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. And so for us, as we look at our own lives, we have to ask ourselves, am I a person that is worthy of honor or respect? And while we can say, well, there are admirable qualities or admirable characteristics, there are things that we can certainly have dignity in in the way that we live. The way that the world uses dignity is very contrary to the way that scripture talks about what is worthy of honor and what is worthy of respect. And so our goal is not to take away from the honor and the worthiness of God, but to just simply say the way that we tend to define it is foreign to the way that God actually acts and the way that we actually exist. In truth, there is only one who is worthy of honor, and in truth, he has been rejected by the world. Bottom line. He was a man that was not seen as worthy but was rejected. We see that over and over in Scripture. And while we in our faith may offer great esteem to God, as we look at how the world defines being dignified, Jesus wasn't it. God is not it. We will not be it in a world that defines it differently. What I hope you grasped last week and what I hope you're grappling with over these next few weeks is the idea of the authentic true self. You remember that? You have two authentic selves. Who you truly are right now in this moment. Without all the masks. Without all the pretend. Without all the let me put on Facebook. Who I want you to think I am. But there's just who you really are. If you were to peel back the layers. And all of the defense mechanisms. Your true self right in this moment is who you are. Not who you are wish you were not who other people say you are but who you really are that's that's your one of your true selves your other true self is that person that god always intended you to become and we'll never truly exist in freedom we'll never truly understand life until we have 
pursued the true self that God always intended you to be. That is one of the incredible gifts of God. To become more than we are. But we have to understand where we are. And when we want to grasp the idea that we are a people of dignity, that we have to ignore so much of Scripture because that's just not the way that the world sees us. You have two authentic selves, but it's only the undignified that can really approach the cross. We cannot in our sinfulness, as we talked about last week, we have to understand that we are loved. We are valuable. We have unlimited potential, but we are also broken and in need of redemption. And so one of the wonderful things is is we don't have to be a dignified person to approach the cross. That's just good, right? We don't have to be a person of honor and dignity in order to approach the cross. Because if that were the case, then it would be more about our works, right? We have to do something. We have to be something. It's really our ability to know Jesus is in the hands of other people's esteem of us. So thankfully, we have to be undignified before the cross if we're going to truly know Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. And what we also know is that God acts without any respect to dignity. Now, wouldn't it be something if God only moved based on the opinions of other people? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't you be really in a real mess? (laughs) What if your prayer life was only effective based on the impressions that other people have of you? And we gave that control to them so that the only way God would really intersect your life is if you had reached some level of esteem in the eyes of others. How would that work? The truth is, within the church, many of us really live within this idea that if I present myself in somehow a worthy manner, then somehow I'm better in my relationship with God. And that is going to be a frustrating life to embrace because God is not a respecter of who we present ourselves at. God peers through us and sees who we really are. So as we kind of move through this idea of being undignified today, what I want to talk to you about is I really want to nail home this idea that God is not dignified. Now I know right off the bat, some of you are going, man, I just, I don't know about this. You know, you're kind of Talking contrary to what I've always believed, God is worthy of honor and respect. Yes. But I want you to stay with me. I want you to see how God works and how in this world, much of what God has done has been misunderstood, misportrayed, and misapplied. So that when we have tried to put him in this box that fits in the world's idea of dignity, he just doesn't fit. And above that, he just doesn't care that he doesn't fit. And so if that's the case, how do we respond to him? So we're going to have some fun this morning. We're going to have some challenges to work through, but I hope that you'll stay with me. Bottom line, as we look at the, the intro or the, the red and blue pill, we have to differentiate between the honor that God has and the honor that the world celebrates. There has to be a differentiation here. 
When we talk about the dignity of God, we're not talking about what the world defines as dignity because the world will never define God as dignified, ever. They'll define him all many different ways. Some will go so far as to say he's good or loving. Many will say he's judgmental and harsh. There's many ways that people will define God. It doesn't really matter how he's defined. What matters is what he is, right? What matters is what is true. What matters is what is real. And the reason that we have to differentiate between these two is because the world doesn't celebrate God. The world celebrate that which honors themselves. Now, this is going to be tough because some of us are really working hard in our life to be honored by others. We find great value in other people honoring us. We find some kind of identity by other people saying good things about us. And therefore, it begins to shape our attitudes and behaviors because we really want that to continue. We want people to say good things about us. We love to hear people say, you've done a good job. And so when someone says you've done a good job, you try to repeat that behavior. And you may not even realize you're doing it, but there is something in us that just yearns to be accepted and valued by others. There's something in us, every one of us, even those that say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You know, they tend to kind of get together, don't they? You know, people that like to say, I'm just, you know, I'm different than everybody else. You know, I just don't care what anybody says about me. And then they group together with all their other friends. They go, man, you're right. We don't care either. You're, you're dead on when they get validation in the exact same way in just a little different format. Because there's something in us that wants that validation. And as we look at the world, we have to understand that if we're looking to be dignified in the eyes of the world, we're going to have to go against the things that God says are actually true. In the story of the Matrix, Neo is kind of the savior figure. And this savior figure knows something's not right in the world, but he doesn't really understand what that is. And so he is faced with this opportunity to be told the true story of what's really going on. And as it's explained to him, there is the world that you want to see, and then there's the world that really is. I want you to know that the world lives in the one that they want to see, not in the one that really is. But because there is an enemy at work in the world who is a master at diverting our attention, he is able to hide what is true so that we embrace what is not true. I want you to really get this as we leave today. That God is not a person of dignity. He's not a deity of dignity, if you don't like the word person. God does not care about that. As we look at what the world celebrates, what are some of the biggest parties that we throw in our world today? What? New Year's? What else? Mardi Gras? Celebration of indulgence? What else? Birthdays, well, you know, those are pretty awesome, but they're about us, right? If we look at the big celebrations on TV, we have things like the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, you know, and Christians didn't want to be left out, so we have the Dove Awards, you know, we have our own award thing. We love to be celebrated. 
And what the world loves most is for other people to celebrate them. There is something that makes us want to put ourselves in the place of God in every part of our life that we must struggle against to decide that's not the way I want to live. So as we understand that there are two different ways that we understand, I want you to know that God doesn't act with respect to dignity. He acts with respect to holiness, to grace, to kindness and love. This is what God acts to, not based on what other people affirm in him. And as you can guess, I'm a proponent that the things that God wants to be focused on out of the things he wants us to be focused on. Which are holiness, grace, kindness, and love. I want to focus on one in particular today. The idea of kindness. See, the kindness of God is something that the world outright rejects. And it's somewhat confusing. Why would we outright reject that which is kind? Don't we kind of want to be kind? Don't we want other people to be kind to us? I mean, we have bumper stickers that say we should perform random acts of kindness. We have relationships with people that are kind to us. In fact, we tend to gravitate towards people who are kind. And yet God demonstrates, I am a God who is very kind to you, but the world really rejects that idea of kindness. So why is that? What does that mean? And how is that different? This is where the red and the blue pill come into place because there is a kindness that the world recognizes and there is a kindness that the world rejects. And so I want to look through the characteristic of God's kindness today. And how do we understand that in this role of dignity? If you've got a Bible, we're pretty much going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Today, If you don't have a Bible, we've got some free ones out in the hallway. Just grab one, take it. If you know someone who needs one, you can take it with you. You can follow along on version. Uh, however you want to follow along. We're pretty much going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. But Ephesians 1, we're starting with verse 6, says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to <clears throat> excuse me, his dear son. He is so rich in, what's that word? Kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins he has showed his what kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding now is it that refreshing i mean those are those are the fun verses to read aren't they it's kind of the verses that just say you know you don't have to do anything you don't have to be anything it's just God just is showing grace and kindness to you just because he loves you. Those are the things that we enjoy reading. Those are really what some of the passages that really aren't all that, you know, confusing or they're not all, you know, that big on debating. I mean, it's just God is so rich in kindness and grace. And it's just, it's just refreshing. And it's the kind of thing that we really want to hear. It's the kind of gospel we really want to tell. And it's, while true, can sometimes be misleading based on what we read in the rest of Scripture. But we love to hear of God's kindness. And the truth is, if this was the gospel all in and of itself, who would reject that there is a God who just wants to lavish you with kindness. Who would reject that? 
I think very few people would, and yet God is constantly rejected. So how are we to understand this in the context of dignity? What is worthy of honor and what is worthy of respect? The difference in what is and what is perceived by the world. So as we go through, I want to actually back up verse or two if you're if you're one you know that likes to just kind of flip through and open and read a verse and then that's the way you're going to act that day i i just want to encourage you that it's great that you're spending time in scripture but let me encourage you that context is more important than a couple of verses that day understanding the bigger context is what you begin to do as you begin to grow deeper in your faith you begin to understand more about scripture and you begin to say it's not what i want it to say i want to know what it actually does say and one of those clues that god gives us as in any type of literature as in any type of content is when we have it in context we're able to understand it better than when we just take a little piece and then we try to apply it So as we look at this through the context of what's going on, let's look at some of the truths about God's kindness and how this relates to what is worthy of honor and respect. We're going to back up to verse 3. I'm reading mostly from the New Living Translation today just because I like the way that it's worded. So if you're used to the English Standard Version, we're going to be a little bit different today. Chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Let's look at some of these different truths about God. Number one, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, what's that word? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. One of the truths about God's kindness is that God is a blessing God, right? Isn't that wonderful that God is a blessing God? He doesn't, he's not just a demanding God. He is a blessing God. But who do we read in this verse that God continually blesses? Who does it say? Us? Well, us is pretty broad. Those in Christ. Those in Christ are constantly being blessed by God. Now, right off the bat, here's where we begin to see a fork in the road. What do you mean he just blesses those in Christ? What if I don't believe in Christ? Tell me God won't bless me. Well, maybe I don't want to know that God if he's not going to bless me and if I don't want to know anything about Christ. That's where we begin to see a departure in what is honored because what the world desires to be honored is themselves. And what we know about God is there is only one worthy of honor and respect. I want God to bless me and let me do whatever I want. I'm worthy of honor. I'm worthy to live my own life, do my own thing, be the architect of my own life. Truth is, still, God is a blessing God. It's one of the most wonderful things to know him and that he constantly blesses us. We kind of talk through this. I look over my life both as just a follower of Christ, as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, in many different areas of my life. I am the beneficiary of God's kindness and blessing. There are so many times that I have acted out of accordance with God's will and he has been kind to bring me back. There are so many times I have done things that I am not proud of and yet God has been kind not only to offer me forgiveness but to work in the lives of others to offer me forgiveness as well. I am a recipient of God's blessing and God's kindness and without that, life would be very, very different. God is a kind, blessing God. 
as we keep going and we read the next verse, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Now, let's just stop there for a minute because you all come from different backgrounds. Some of you, you're very used to this chosen language. You, you embrace this chosen language and some not so much. You're chose, chose me. No one would choose me. We, we had a birthday party a few weeks ago and we let two of the youngest cousins pick teams. We were having a family basketball game. And even amongst the adults, all of those childhood playground fears came to bear. You know what I'm talking about? Who's going to be picked last, right? Who gets picked first and who gets picked last? Well, Jake gets picked first because he's the young one and the tall one and presumably the best one at basketball, although I would counter that. I don't have much proof or evidence, but I still would counter that at this stage of my life. And, and, and some got picked a little later. I won't name names. Some got picked a little later. Some got picked last. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a fun day. This idea of being chosen can sometimes create great anxiety in us because we're afraid that we're not good enough to be chosen. God wouldn't choose me. And yet God has chosen you. And he has chosen you not based on your performance, not based on your history. He's chosen you based on his love for you. He has chosen you. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Can you just let that settle a little bit in you? What he chose you for? Did he choose you for a lifetime of religious devotion? Did he choose you for a lifetime of religious activity? Did he choose you for a lifetime of feeling like you never measure up? Is that what God has chosen you for? Even though there are many that believe that. But instead he has chosen you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is the very center of the kindness of God to us. See, the way the world defines kindness is it defines what you do that makes me feel good. It makes me feel valued. It makes me feel validated. It's one of the reasons that in the church we get so bent out of shape when someone in politics or someone in media or someone outside the confines of the church end up saying something that does not validate our beliefs and we get all up in arms and we get so angry and upset and we boycott and we hold press conferences and we say how wrong they are and they're going to hell. We do that because we perceive that they are not being kind to us. They're not validating us because that is the way the world defines kindness. You're personally validating me, making me feel better about me, making me feel good. And yet much of the gospel does not make us feel good, does it? So how do we understand this kindness? One of the truths of God is that he is a loving God who chose us to be holy. And that may not seem like a big deal. He chose us to be holy. Okay, so we're going to be, you know, cherubs in heaven, strumming our hearts, singing songs, white robes and... You know, baby fat and all that good stuff. Some of us still have our baby fat. We're still trying to grow out of it. Thanks for laughing at that. I'm not feeling very kind or validated right now. 
chose us to be holy. Now, this is so crucial because God's kindness is not based on what makes us feel good. God's kindness is based on what we really, truly need. See, kindness is not just that thing that, that you go walking away going, yeah, I just feel, I just feel, I just feel better. While this should make you feel better, the truth is God's kindness is not based on the way you have centered your life on what is valuable. God's kindness is based on what he has deemed to truly be valuable. And because we live in a world where there are so many distractions that we can miss what is truly valuable and we will embrace what we see with our own eyes. It's valuable. I have lots of friends, no matter what it takes to have them. You don't have to be a different person for each one. It's valuable to get a promotion because I'm doing better. It shows that I'm going somewhere and I'm doing better than someone else, maybe. It's valuable for me to have others look at me and want my life. Because somehow I feel better about myself. And yet, historically, people never feel good about themselves. We always feel like there's not enough. There should be more. I'm not cutting it. I'm not making it. God is a loving God. He chose us to be holy. And when you know Christ, that invitation is just beautiful. Because he has chosen us to emulate his own character. There's very little in this world that celebrates the invitation to holiness. Very little. There are places, but very few. And yet this is the invitation by God to demonstrate his kindness. I have chosen you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now to be without fault in his eyes only matters if you care how God sees you. If you don't care how God sees you, you really could care less if he finds any fault in you. It's the way it is with any relationship. There are people that think I hung the moon and I really like those people. And there are people that think I'm the worst person on earth and I really don't like hanging out with those people, right? We just tend to gravitate that way to people. We tend to gravitate towards those who make us feel better about ourselves. And yet, if we truly understand how wonderful and incredible God is, that we really do care how he views us, much more than anyone else. Because I'm telling you, if you're going to follow Christ, you'll have to make choices that other people won't validate, but yet God will be looking down with approval. And the only thing you'll have in that moment is knowing that God approves of me. One of the great gifts of his kindness. Now, this is the God that created everything. This is the God who who put everything in motion. This is the God who, while we build these telescopes that go through the universe, still have no idea how far it goes because God is so infinite. God is so enormous. And God's love is so unfathomable. The way that he has fashioned all of creation and invited us through him to have a relationship with him is absolutely, without a doubt, we are unable to fathom that. He's just, he's too big. We fashion him in little bite-sized pieces because our minds just cannot expand to the depth of what and who God is. We, we cannot do that. 
But if we could, if we could just see how wonderful and incredible God is, how he views us would be of supreme importance, much more than how others view us. Yet we will often go through our day trying to orchestrate it in the way that others see us in a good light. But what if in order to do that, you're having to do something that God says is bad, is unhealthy, that you're embracing this idea that you are in bondage or in slavery to this. God is loving God. He chose us to be holy. That is an invitation that many will reject, but for those who see God for who he is, it is a gift of kindness. If we go on to the next verse, verse 5, he says this. Not only has he chosen us to be holy, verse 5 says, God decided in advance. Now, this is going to mess up some of your theology, but you need to really read through this and, and, and let this marinate. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. God decided this in advance. So God always knew we were going to be in this shape. He always knew this is what was going to happen. And even then, he still created us. He still put us in the garden. He still allowed the serpent to be in the garden. He still let Adam and Eve fall. And then through that, all of humanity would fall. And he always knew, I still have chosen you to be without fault in my eyes. In advance, he planned for this. His love is so enormous that while he gave us the freedom to reject him, he always planned for us to be redeemed. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Not that he had to do. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. God's grace and his kindness are revealed to us in Christ. Revealed to us in the way that we can follow him, we can know him, and that he was willing to give himself on the cross for us. That is what his kindness has done. But do we truly understand God's kindness. We truly understand what he wants to give us. And I will tell you that there are so many people who are fractured in their faith because they misinterpret and misunderstand the kindness that God wants to give. We asked a question in our last series. If someone were about to drive off a cliff, would you try to stop them or just pull over and watch? So we touched on accountability and we touched also on kindness if someone is making a mistake within their life that is going to cost them but they don't see it they have blinders on which we all do this from time to time would we try to intercede based on where they are headed even if they don't see it or do we just sit back and 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 let the fireworks happen see the world says if you love me you'll let me pursue my dreams and do whatever i want to do But as followers of Christ, we say, God has given us what is best. Let us help you stay on course with what he says is best. And so we understand accountability differently because we understand kindness and love differently. But does the world truly understand God's kindness? Do we truly understand 
what that looks like. You see, if kindness is defined as my validation of you, do I truly understand how God is kind to us through the gospel? Because if that were the definition, then God would not send Jesus. God would just say, Mark, do what you want, buddy. It's okay. It's fine. I'm okay with whatever you want to do. It'll hurt them, but you know what? We're not talking about them. We're talking about you. Go for it. Now, there's something in us that says, man, that's just wrong. But yet there's also something in us that just says, man, I wish that were right. I wish that's the way the world was. I want it to be that way. I want God to go, God, I just, this is what I need. I need this thing to happen. Please, if you love me, just make this happen. And God then must act either in what he knows to be true, real, and right, or he must act in the way that you have requested. What is beautiful is when those two things line up. But what often happens in our life is that they are opposed to one another. And so we say, God is not answering my prayers because we've asked God to act what is contrary to his spirit. And then we get angry with God because he's leaving us supposedly without an answer. And yet God not giving us what we have asked for may very well be the kindest thing he can do. What if you knew how every decision would play out? Wouldn't that be something? That'd be awesome. You, get, you know, we, we kind of have that with past decisions. We've kind of made decisions and we've seen how they played out. And some of them worked out well and some of them, well, I really wish I had done something else. So when we look back, we can look at that and go, you know what? In hindsight, that was a bad decision. Should not have done that. Sometimes that's in buying a house, buying a car, taking a job, uh, letting your kids do something you really shouldn't have done, you doing something you really shouldn't have done, pursuing a relationship that you really shouldn't have pursued. We can look back on those things, but how great would it be if we could look forward and we could see logically how all these things would work out? Wouldn't that be just awesome? I mean, career planning would take a whole different level of excitement for us. I mean, I could really see if now if I'm, I'm trying to choose my career, I, I'm headed in this direction, I'm going to get capped off at 25 and I'll never make a dime more than that for the rest of my life. Okay, let's not do that. Let's do something else. Okay, on this one, I'm really going to excel. I mean, I'm going to be rolling in the bucks. I mean, I'm going to get all these people tell me how great I am, but I'll have no friends. I'll have no family. I'll have no time to do anything I enjoy Okay, so there's some good things about that, but overall, that's not what I'm looking for. Wouldn't that be awesome to know that? Or what about moving over into this career choice? I'm going to have to sacrifice everything I know to be true, but I get everything else I want. I get lots of money and I get lots of free time. But I've got to sacrifice everything I know to be true in order to do that. It's What if you could do that in all of life's decisions? You could just see where they were going to end and we could just make decisions based on the end result, not on what we anticipate will happen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Thankfully, we have a God who is so rich in grace, love, and kindness that he has seen the ends of all those decisions and he acts based on what is best, not based on what we anticipate. So is it kind for God to give us all the things that we have asked for if he knows that where they're going to lead us is very destructive? Is it kindness for him to say, Mark, go for it, man. You know what? Just do it. 
You want it. Go for it. Which would be great if I really knew what was best for me sometimes, right? But the world would totally embrace that kind of a God. Go for it. Do it. Whatever. Yeah, man, I'll make it happen. One of the movies that we, we like the Almighty movies, you know, Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty, we watch, like to watch those. And one of, the, one of the fun things in Bruce Almighty is when Jim Carrey, Bruce, has to answer everyone's prayers. Remember that? He has to answer everybody's prayers and they keep coming and, and he is just flying because he has some of these supernatural powers and he's just typing faster than he's ever typed before. And as soon as he, he submits all the requests, 10 times more appear in his, in his window. And so he just says yes to everybody. Just gives yes to everybody and just the world falls apart. Is God kind because he gives us what we want? Or is God kind because he gives us what we ultimately need? The world says, I don't, I don't, let me worry about my needs. You just give me what I want. See, when the world honors that which gives them what they want, it must redefine God's love for them. That all God wants for them is what they want, not what he wants. Somehow he doesn't know any better. He doesn't have better plans. Some of you are struggling at a period of your life right now. And you are struggling that God is not giving you A, B, or Z, X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. And yet God is giving you exactly what you need. And you may not see it for years. You may not see it ever. But it is his kindness, not his lack of, that is at work in your life. Sometimes the hardest thing for me is... To just say, God, I've prayed about this. Begged you about this. Okay. If this is what you want, okay. That's one of the most difficult decisions that you can make following Christ. When your heart wants you to do something else. To say, you know best. You love me more than I love myself. Okay. It's tough. The kindness begins to look different in that reality. The world begins to shift a little bit when we understand what God knows to be true is what is really true, not the things that we see with our eyes. God's view of kindness is truly rescuing us from our sins, our past, and our inevitable future. That is God's kindness. So we get so many other things in the equation. But what God consistently comes back to is, I want to rescue you from your sinfulness. That is what is best. I want to give you the opportunity to know me and live and, and experience my holiness with no fault in my eyes. That is a gift. The ability to go before the creator and say, God, I am, I am without fault in your eyes. And not because of anything I've done. Just because you are a God who is rich. And kindness. But you have to change the way you see the world to see that. Do we truly understand God's kindness? There's a, I'm not going to read it all, but if you want to read something fun and uh, a little bit convicting, uh, Job, starting with verse 38, is a great, great place to go. 
most know the story of Job, right? He's got all these great things. I mean, life is just perfect. Satan comes and says, hey, you know what? The only reason he loves you is because his life is perfect. So let me take all that away. Let's see if he still loves you. Job hangs in there. He loses everything. He hangs in there. And then, you know, he expresses a little bit of frustration to God, which would be, you know, natural for any of us. And then we, start, we come into Job 38, one of the only places we really see this kind of response by God. But it also demonstrates the holiness of God way above our own. <laughs> and he says this, or I'm just going to read a few of these. He says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom? This is where the big booming voice, you know, I sometimes tell you how I read scripture. Sometimes, you know, I, I have my own special effects in my mind because I'm just kind of built that way. So this is where the big booming voice comes out of the, you know, circulating, I can't even speak this morning, circulating tornado, you know, this big booming voice. Who is this? You know, I don't know that's how it was, but that's how it sounds good to me. Who is this that questions my wisdom? Anyways, all right, I'll stop that. That questions my wisdom with such ignorant words. Brace yourself like a man. Now listen, the creator of the universe tells you that. You're feeling pretty darn low. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Now what if God responded to us in some of our times of prayer like this? We say, God, I've been asking you about this for a long time now. Well, I've got some questions for you. That would just be horrifying. Although I totally believe God does this to me from time to time. You must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determines its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and because the, and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth shakes, takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It's robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. And that goes on and on, not just for the rest of this chapter, but for the next three chapters. I can just imagine Job is sitting there getting smaller and smaller with each statement, his mouth dropping like, ah, you know, I just imagine that's what's going through him. And the truth is many of us want to dictate to God who he will be. We don't embrace who he is and that he has called us to something different because God is an undignified God. He doesn't fit the role that we make him try to fit. He is who he is and we are who we are. So as you skip down to chapter 42, finally he gets a chance to talk. You know, God stops and he gets a chance to say something. What would you say? I don't know what I'd be like. Um, Okay. He says, then Job replied to the Lord. I know that you can do anything. And no one can stop you. 
You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Which is every single person's response to God when they finally see him for who he is. The sad fact is that there are many in this world that will not see God for who he is. For us to expect them to honor and esteem us as Christians is to believe about humanity that which will never be true. And that is that they can see what God says is true and real and worthy. They cannot see those things. They will never validate us if we try to live inside the things of which God says this is true, good, right, and just. And so we are faced with this red pill, blue pill scenario of will I allow my eyes to be opened to what is true or will I close my eyes and just pretend like something else is real? See, a lot of people end up choosing to close their eyes. In fact, Scripture tells us there are many that will initially embrace Christ's death for us on the cross but they will never be able to overcome their need to be the center of their own universe and they will walk away. He uses the analogy of seed that's planted in shallow ground. It never takes root and really thrives because they've never truly given up that repentance or given repentance to him. It has always still been about themselves. You see, we can want God to rescue us and not really care who God is because we never fully understand what he's rescuing us from. What he's rescuing us from is our sinfulness, our brokenness. While we are loved and valuable, we cannot stop that we are loved and valuable. We are also broken. But his grace, his love, his kindness is shown to us in taking that brokenness and putting it back together the way he always saw you from the beginning as. It's so easy to get so comfortable. If we finish off this passage in Ephesians, verse 7 says, this is where we come back to what we started with. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. This is his kindness. He has showed us his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding because his kindness condemned his own son to be tortured and murdered for our sake, for your sake. That doesn't sound kind in the eyes of the world. But when we understand our need, then we understand how much grace is given in those times. We go on down to verse 9. It says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance. We see that yet again. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's kindness is demonstrated in our adoption as his children. 
See, we begin to change what we honor and esteem when we begin to understand what our true needs are and who has really met those needs. Verse 12 says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an inheritance he promised. And that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. While God is undignified in the eyes of the world, he is of supreme dignity for those who know him. But we understand There's a difference, right? There's a difference in the way the world sees him and the way we, being of the world, naturally see him and who he really is. But once we see him, just as Job saw him and realized, you are, your majesty is unmatched. Your glory is incredible. Once we see how wonderful he is, it changes our whole view of reality. Because we have seen what is real and what is true. God's kindness is a gift so that we can praise and glorify him. Have you ever viewed worship as a gift from God that we can glorify him? He's given us the opportunity to be in his presence, to talk about him and to him. So many times we're so wrapped up in this world idea of kindness that God, if you love me, you'll give me what I want. We are so wrapped up in this egocentric faith instead of a God-centric faith. And we struggle and we get frustrated and we want to give up because of it. Kindness of God is overlooked by all who misunderstand who he is. I want to finish up with this, talking about this red pill, blue pill idea. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. This is the ESV if you're reading that. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. There's a difference. It's just trying to continually say there's a difference in what is real and what the world says is real. Verse 13, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, 
but is himself to be judged by no one. For he who understood the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. The truth is, God's kindness is available to all who recognize his gift. Our salvation, our hope, our deliverance. That we live in a world that is distracted. It is hard to interpret. But there is something real and true that he allows us to learn through his spirit. I would leave you with this. May our response to him always be to offer praise and glory for the gift of redemption through Christ. I would also leave you with just this thought. As we go through this series, you know, these are, it's one thing to talk about these concepts and these principles, right? Theological discussions, what the Bible says. It's one thing to talk about them. It's a whole other thing to live by them. Because when we live by them, people don't go, good job, Mark. That's exactly what Jesus wanted you to do. I just don't, people don't come by and say that to me. But I often have people come by and tell me that I didn't act in a way that they thought I should, right? You have this, does this happen to other people too? It does, right? Somehow I've disappointed them or I haven't met their expectations or whatever. I do hear those things. But I very rarely have somebody come by and say, man, that is, you are seeing the world for as it truly is. Way to follow Jesus. And yet that is one of the roles of the church for each other. I want to encourage you that if you embrace this idea of the red pill, blue pill, you know, I'm stretching it a little bit. But if you embrace this idea that there's a truth of the world and there's a truth that is real in Christ, I want you to know that everybody's going to validate you. They're not going to esteem you because they didn't do it for Christ. But I'm telling you, once you see, just as Job saw who God really is, you understand how rich in kindness he is that we can be adopted as his children. Let us praise and glorify him with all that we do. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I, I, I don't know, but I, this, is, this is what I'm hoping for. I want to see God. I want you to know God is not some mystery that he wants to hide from you. It is a mystery for sure, but he wants to make it very plain and very accessible. Just as Job experienced Christ and he knelt in repentance, we can do that and experience him. And once you've experienced Christ, you experience also his spirit that we've just read about. And it will take you to places you never thought possible to begin to search the depths of God. I want to pray with you, no matter where you are in life, no matter what's going on with you, if you are right now struggling because people aren't validating you, I want you to know you need to know who you are in the eyes of Christ, and that is enough. There are some here and you're just living this and you have embraced this idea and it's hard and it's frustrating because you have people that you love that seem to be rejecting you. I want you to know, I know it's hard and you're not the only one who goes through that. Keep your faith. Because God is still love. He's still rich in love and grace and kindness to you. And I want you to know there is a day coming when what is real, what is true, what is right in the eyes of God will be the only thing in existence. And while that is not here and now, I want to be there when that happens. And I want you there with me. Would you pray with me? Father, God, it's so difficult to look beyond the things that are right in front of our faces. 
It's so difficult to feel that we need the approval of people instead of your approval. It's easy to take on the mindset of the world that a loving good God gives us everything we want. There's just something that feels wrong that your kindness is shown based on what we need, even if we don't know we want it. I pray for those today, and they have, they have been lifting up prayers for a long time over all different things, and yet for whatever reason, you have not spoken to them. I pray that you would not just give them patience, but hope, and that you do see everything as it will come to pass, and you are working to what is best based on what is true. Father, help us to embrace your indignity. Help us to live within your calling of what is worthy of honor and respect in you. I ask all this in Jesus' name.